0: I'd like to share a word with us today, and uh, I pray that your hearts be open, but mostly I pray that the Lord will empower each one of us to hear him. In the book of Acts, and I like making reference to this, when Peter stood up to speak for the first time after the upper room experience, the Bible says that in his crowd were men of different tribes of different countries of different cities but when Peter spoke the, each of them heard their language it doesn't say Peter spoke and then John spoke and then Matthew spoke yeah or Peter spoke in Greek and the other one spoke in Aramaic the Bible records that these men are speaking our language so my prayer is that as I share with us today May your language be identified in every word that I speak. Amen. Hallelujah. I'd like us to... The topic I'd like to share with us is uh, the two-edged sword. The two-edged sword. And uh, what's amazing about our lives and, 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 and a beautiful experience we had this morning was listening... To people coming from a place of pain to a place of joy. Coming from a place of luck to a place of provision. Coming from a place of emptiness to a place of fulfillment. Coming to a place of desolation to a place of whatever the opposite of that is. And the Lord has come through for so many people. And it takes me to... You know, you know the scripture in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, which is familiar with most of us, that talks about the word of God is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intents of the heart. I asked myself a question that why is it that when God is going to deal with you, maybe let me start this way in tooth in, uh, 1989, um, say 87 towards the end of 87, I made a prayer to God. I said, Lord, I need you to fix my family. I prayed, you know, where you look at home and things are not going very well. And we look like we are okay, but we are not. You know, at the heart of it, there's conspiracy. There's, you know, you can write a movie from just the setting in your home. And it was that time. And I was still in high school, and I prayed to God. I said, Lord, I want you to fix my family. I want you to fix my family. Shortly after that, in 98, my father suffers a stroke, a massive one, and everything fell apart. Like anything that could possibly fall apart, fell apart. Uh, We, just fast forward, we had to sell a house. We had to move into an unfinished building. I failed my school. Months after that, I had to repeat my class. Like everything that could possibly go off, went off. And I kept telling God, I said fix. I didn't say destroy. I said fix. I didn't say tear it down, but it looked like as I am praying for God to fix, he begins by first doing what? Tearing it down. Tearing it down. And sometimes it looks like he has not answered your prayer, but the answer has started. Sometimes it looks like he has not heard what I'm saying. It's getting worse. But the answer has begun. In the turmoil, the answer has begun. In the pain, the answer has begun. Fast forward to 2000. My father gets saved, which is what I wanted in 98. He went through so much. And I had never seen the brokenness that that, that, that crash was big. We had a family altar for the very first time. Like I had never seen our family praying together. You know, there's this praying together, praying for food it works chicken and everything but when you're praying for rent as a family regardless of who your mother is because it's a polygamous setting regardless of where you've been regardless of the little battles you've had i saw that praying on candlelight because we can't afford electricity the power has been cut Surviving a whole season of provision without anyone in the house having a job. Everyone lost their job. Anyone who could. Like somehow the contract ends. Oh, my mom takes too long taking care of my mom, of my dad. They, concede, they say, no, we, we can't give you too many days of leave. So she loses the job. So suddenly, all of us are at home. Who is out? Who can bring money? But I can tell you, we never slept hungry. I keep telling my friends, we ate more chicken that year than we ever did when we had so much money. We ate so many chips. There's an uncle who made it a point to deliver a whole sack of Irish potatoes. And it would always come just in time. Like you've had lunch, knowing this is the last of it. Then at 4.30, when it's about time to start preparing dinner, somebody arrives, or a border border. Stumbles into the compound with food, with exactly what we need. In that moment, I begin to experience what it means for God to provide. When he overturns every system that we knew. We know that we get provision based on who is working. Based on the promotion in the house. Based on the access that we have as a family. Friends that my dad had been so good with. And you know the ones who come. And my dad tells me, this is my bosom buddy." Those ones were not picking calls. As in when the Lord begins to shut down and really shut down. But in that moment, he carried us on eagles' wings. So sometimes you're sitting in a place and you feel like the Lord has forsaken you. Forsaken you because you are not used to being provided for by reverence. Forsaken you because you're not, you're, you're not comfortable waiting in faith. You're not comfortable waiting to see how soon it comes. That suspicion is killing you. Will I make it? Will I not? Why do we have to wait? Why does God take us through these things? Oh God! And he's there thinking, wait! You should be rejoicing that I'm covering you. You should be rejoicing that there's a pillar of fire over you by night. There's a light even in this darkness. But you can't see it because your mind is conditioned to... To equating his presence with provision. To equating his presence with open doors. To equating his presence with favor. But I dare say that even in the darkness, his presence is there. In fact, much brighter than before. Because when the two-edged sword begins, on one end it feels like it's tearing you down. On the other end it's redemption. Circumcision is a very strange thing. They are cutting off something to give you life. Isn't it? They should be stitching it on. And I see that the Lord uses this time and time again. When we look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 23 to 29. It speaks about the Lord Jesus being a stumbling block. The Lord Jesus being a stumbling block, he should be one that we climb on to go somewhere. But depending on the posture of your heart, he will either build you up or crush you, the Bible describes. Depending on the posture of your mind, he will either lift you up or or crush you or you will fall under his weight. That is not unfamiliar. Many people have gone through tough places and given up. When the sword is cutting, they've given up. When there's a division of soul and spirit, the soul has a tendency to be be flattery, to enjoy good things, to be puffed up. And then the spirit is that place where you're like, Lord, if you don't come through, they're going to say, Again, the soul is speaking. They're going to say, the soul is speaking. Then the spirit is like, I don't care what they say. Just come. So when the word of God begins to be living and active in your life, when you begin to quote certain scriptures, and it begins to do its work as a sign, it feels like it's confusing. But I'd like to encourage us this afternoon. That the Lord always uses a two-edged sword. That don't be so focused on the sword that seems to be tearing you down. Not to see the one that's building you up. There's so many stories in the Bible that encourage me in this light. Hannah had to go through the years of Penina's torment. Hannah had, had to go through Moments of not having, of seeing them born, the first born, seeing the second born born, seeing the third born born, seeing the pregnancy, the belly, belly's bulging, the boobs are changing and everything. And she is experiencing it or even probably helping nurse the babies, like carry them around. But they were not her babies. They were not her babies. So when she cries out to the Lord, she's crying out to the Lord from a very dry place. And it's so dry, but it has broken her to a place that there's a willingness to give back whatever she receives. I don't think Penina would have minded. Give the Lord. Which one? There's a tendency to think that because you have abundant things, it's easy to give. But the best sacrifice actually comes out of emptiness. The more acceptable sacrifice comes out of emptiness. Comes out of not really knowing. In the book of Mark chapter 12, as I read this morning, verse 43, of the the, the old lady, the widow who took all she had into the treasury during offering time. The Bible says she gave out of her poverty. And that's what made her little money count, where it came from. The rest, Jesus says, were giving out of abundance, but she gave out of her poverty. She looked at it. She appreciated that there's nothing to be admired here, yet will I give it. Do you have a life that you look at, you don't think God can use this life? You don't think God can manifest himself. You don't think there's any, any chance that I will be promoted. You don't think there's any chance that I'll get that access to that internship. You don't think, when you come to the place of saying, okay, God, whether you say we move, we move, or whether you say we stay behind, we stay behind, then you're almost completing your journey. Because for some of us, the Lord will keep cutting and cutting until you come to the place and send him a I will not do it again. Have you ever seen the Lord shut a door for you and you think, hmm, this is shut. But I know if I talk to so-and-so, yeah? But I have this connection. But I know so-and-so will come through for me. We went through that season of trusting on friends we had banked on for a season until nobody was willing to give anything. Why? We were in so much debt. So, I like the picture of the donkey talking to the prophet saying, my friend, the door is closed. Can't you see? There are some of us who need to see that this this confusion happening is not because there's witchcraft. My friend used to say that God is also a witch. You know how we attribute all bad luck to witchcraft? Yeah, so in that light, any bad luck that comes to you, that's the one who brought it is a witch. Yeah? And that can include God. Why? Look at Job, the poor man, sacrificing every day, giving up and, and, and bringing praise and, and perhaps and giving an extra, just in case. But in that moment, he is exposed Only to be rewarded much more. So in his pain, it looks like he's forsaken. In his pain, it looks like, no, it didn't work. Your God, you've been sacrificing to all these goats and cows. We should have kept them and eaten them. Now see. You have skin rash, you have... When the wife is talking, I like to fill in. I don't think she only said the words recorded in the Bible. Because women don't say just a few words. Hmm? How many fattened calf had been, had been burnt at the altar? For all the seven children. Every day. A Messiah would never, ever make that level of sacrifice. A messiah herdsman killing a cow every day. But Job has done that. But when the Lord chooses to lift him up, when the Lord chooses to appreciate him, he tears things down. When the Lord Jesus shows up on the scene, he is so plain that he doesn't look like a messiah. The Bible says that the foolish things within the same scripture, First Corinthians, the foolish things are the things that God is using. So when Jesus appears, he's not exactly the pleasant guy. I keep telling people the movies are lying to us, giving him so much hair. You know that luscious hair, like there's no dust in there. The guy had to be identified by Judas. They didn't know what he looked like. They were not too sure. The same statement that says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That plays out over and over again. That when he's dying on the cross, it looks like it's finished. But the very death, Isaiah 53 says, his wounds are what brought healing. It's like the Lord works in opposites. On one side, he's cutting. On the other side, he's healing. On one side, he's polishing you putting you in a setting where you're embarrassed. Have you ever seen the shaving of pride? When pride is being shaven, is that the word? It can really be something. When he begins to humble you, it looks like death, but with the same piercing of death, life is coming out. Samson is born from a barren womb. John the Baptist is born from an old womb. It's like God just waits for things to rot. Lazarus could not have come out in day three. He had to reach day four. What kind of wisdom is this? When David kills Goliath, one of my favorite stories, he doesn't use a sword. He doesn't use Saul's armor A stone from the river. A stone. That's what the Lord used to bring Goliath down. While the rest of us are looking at our CV, the rest of us are looking at our resources. Every testimony given this morning, people felt insufficient based on their resources. People felt disqualified based on their credentials. But the Lord chooses the foolish things. In fact, the more empty you are, the more qualified you are. So I ask myself, should I just empty myself? Myself, as in don't wait for Jesus to empty you. Just empty yourself. You will climb up in the ranks of availability. You're laughing. But it's true. It's true. Ask yourself, what is this thing that puffs up my soul, that makes me think I'm qualified? Set it down and say, Lord, without you, I'm nothing. Without you, I'm nothing. The Jericho wall did not come down by the hammering of bulldozers. You don't need to prostitute. A woman living on the fence, she's neither here nor there. There's no land for her on the ground. But that's where the Lord chooses. I pray that even as you deal with the Lord, as you reach out, as you make requests, that our eyes be open to the reality of the two-edged sword in the Lord's hand. That every time there's a piercing in your life, tell the Lord, complete what it is you're choosing in me. Finish it. Don't leave it halfway. It's painful, but finish it shared with us in the, in the Kesha of a very, I, I don't know, maybe for the rest of the team, it wasn't embarrassing, but it just felt like a crushing, you know, like something happens where you're like, no, this is not happening. This is not happening. But you tell yourself, I don't want to come back to this place. So the sooner you submit to the, to the sword, the better. I look at Isaac in the Bible. Isaac before the altar and Isaac after the altar are two different things. A friend of mine shared an image of a child who was looking funny. And they've written at the top that your father still loves you, Isaac. And Isaac is like, which one? The man has taken you to the altar. He's held a knife to your neck. But Isaac has been redeemed. Sometimes um, an account is shut down and everything falls into time oil and then you have a chance to start afresh. You have a chance to be more accountable. But we cry out suffering, suffering, suffering. We never see that in this place there's a hand of the Lord. When the Lord begins to lift you up and shed off most of your friends, you think you're suffering. That's a place of privilege. And the sooner we realize that this God of ours is in the bil- business of building and tearing down. Every time he tears you down, you're like, I can't wait. I can't wait to see what he's going to build out of this. I was in a meeting yesterday of a, 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 a group of dear friends of mine. And normally when we start our meetings, we like to catch up and find out how are you doing, how are you doing, how are you doing. How are you doing? So as we went round, everyone kept telling story after story of pain. And then I lost. And then I did this. And then we were kicked out. I'm telling you, by the time we reached the third person, and there's 11 of us, a lot of oestrogen in the house, people were crying. You know, like, oh, my God. You know, like you see pain and you wail with them. It came to a point we could not proceed with our meeting. So we get on our knees and we start praying and trying to encourage. And everyone who is praying is praying with a a voice of crying out. Like, oh God, please come through for our sister. Which seems okay. But I ask God, I don't see life here. Only the stench of rottenness. And I say that respectfully. Then the Lord said, you see, what all of us don't realize is that each one of us is a stone At an altar. Each one of us, the Lord is building an altar. And this altar is representative of the church. Within the church, we have those who have lost their faith. Because that was one of our stories. Within the church, we have those that have lost their children. Children in terms of destiny. They grew and grew and then to a point it was aborted. Because that was one of us. But I asked the Lord, so why are you bringing us together? Because now you're ready. Now you're ready for fire to come down. In the story of Elijah, Elijah did not call fire on on dry wood. He asked that it be wet and wet. One more time, wet until the trench around the altar was really wet. So that when the fire comes, you don't say perhaps because the wood is dry, the sun, something has started a fire. You know. So when the Lord begins to dip you in a trench, perhaps we should be asking, is fire coming? Is the fire coming? Because when it comes, it will consume everything in you that is not of him. The Bible says that he gives grace to the humble. So the sooner we become humble under his hand, the more grace we get to go through the tunnel. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went through a a furnace of fire, but they come out not really smelling smoke. Why? Because the Lord has pledged to himself that I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. So when you go through the fire, yes, it will burn. When you go through the fire, it will be uncomfortable. It will be even scary or consume the ones at the gate. But my plans are to give you a hope and a future. So in every darkness, in every pain, we hold on to the character of God. We hold on to the love of God. We hold on to the assurance that though I die, he will raise me up. That though they leave me, he will bring someone else. In fact, a better person. That though the better person doesn't come, he will be with me. Because sometimes they don't come back. Have you experienced those moments where they don't come back? You're like, Lord, okay, I know you're bringing a, re- a replacement in faith. You know, you're trying to build your faith. You're saying, Lord, I know you're going to bring a replacement. You're going to give me. And we have that gospel of, hey, and sometimes the Lord is setting you up there. Like that red bell. in saying, here you shall hang and be visible. For the rest of your life. So the sooner we get comfortable with the settings of God, the better for us. Are you there and the Lord is doing a work in your life? But perhaps you're looking at it from the wrong place. You're not seeing that fruit can come out of this. The children that Elizabeth had were not ordinary children. Elizabeth and Hannah, they were not ordinary children. Samuel becomes the greatest, one of the greatest prophets in his time. John the Baptist, another weird one, but efficient. So when the Lord begins to do a setting in your life, when you're crying out for, how many are crying out for promotion? Have you changed your mind? How many still have faith for Promotion. Put your hands up. Don't be afraid. Why? It's a two-edged sword. On one side, it might look difficult. But the other side, they always come together. They always come together. They tear, but they also build. They tear, but they also build. Every situation the Lord allows you to go through will always bring you life. The Bible says we cannot be any greater than our master. The Lord Jesus himself went through the same circumcision. Isaiah 53 says, verse 5, He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. We cannot be greater than our master. And he himself says, if they have done this to me, how much more will they do to you? But at the same time he says even greater will you do than what I have done. So don't don't shut don't don't shorten the process. Don't shut don't shorten the process. Don't don't block it out. Lest you miss out on a hundredfold and end up with only 30fold. It's amazing that when Stephen is dying, I mean, stones are coming on him, like hitting hard, ruthlessly. In the same moment of his death, in the same moment of his bruising, he says, I see the Lord. He doesn't see the Lord when he's nice and healthy. Doesn't see the Lord when he's preaching powerfully without too much resistance. The Bible says that as the church was persecuted, it grew. As Stephen is almost breathing his last breath, no longer is the pain of his body making sense, but he can see a light. And that's what the Lord is calling us to. That as we open our lives up, ask your neighbor, are you sure you want another testimony? We can choose to negotiate We can negotiate with God like, okay, let's make this testimony, but let's do it in like 10 years. Or let's do it in like 15 years because we think if we spread out the pain, it will be more bearable. Jesus could have been tortured for many days, but he was a wise man to give it a day. Bring all of it at once. That's my version of the gospel. Bring all of it at once. Let's finish it where? Today. Don't be afraid of pain. Don't be afraid of challenge. Don't be afraid of what lacks in the dark. Because when the darkness is solid, the Bible says, his light is pure. His light is pure. His light is life-giving. He has promised that he will not tear you down only to leave you in the pit, David says. My body will not rot in the pit. You come for me. You will lift me up. That's the hope we have. So I pray that there be more testimonies in the house. I pray that there be more healings in the house. But for healing to be perfected, the rot needs to be real. Am I praying for diseases? I don't know. But I want to see healing. I want to see perfection. When he says we're joining in the sufferings of the Lord Jesus, the fellowship of his sufferings, what are we talking about? So back to my story of the ladies. In the end, the Lord just confirmed that every single one of us was just representative of what's going on in the church and how he's going to transform the church, how he's going to use this brokenness in the church to shame the world. And the church has always spoken like a weak voice, like a disorganized voice, like, like the more power a church has, sometimes it's actually more disorganized. Have you been to the mainstream churches where everything is on time? Like you enter at 10, at 11.15. You can even tell I'll be out of here at 11.20. But you come where the Holy Ghost is sh- shaking things. Huh? There's turmoil. But is that really the signature of God? Not really. He can't be orderly. Have you read the instructions he gave Noah in the Bible for the building of the ark? He didn't say put wood together, make an ark. No. There were measurements for everything. He is that precise. But sometimes he will shake it to build it up. He will shake it to tear it down and build it up. Thank you, Holy Spirit. If there are wounds in this house that are not yet healed, if there are places within your spirit that have not been touched, that you're wondering how long will this thing go on, I speak to you and I say he carries a sword that is living and active. It's not idle. He will separate the chaff from the wheat He will bring life. He will judge the thoughts and intents of the heart and bring forward apples of gold in settings of silver. He will bring forward something more pure. Last Sunday, we had the privilege of listening to our mom, share with us. From Proverbs 31, how many were blessed by that most message? Were you blessed? So much wisdom, so much gentleness. But as she shared, the Lord drew my attention to who Bathsheba was. Bathsheba is someone who was nice and a wife to one Uriah. Right? Right? There she was, doing her own business, minding her own business until she is spotted. I wonder if Bathsheba felt privileged sleeping with the king. I wonder if Bathsheba enjoyed the aisles and the the hallways of the palace. Did she look at it as a place of privilege? Did she walk through the palace confidently knowing that her husband has died somewhere on a battlefield. Was she served with honor like everybody else? When we are reading Proverbs 31, her giving counsel to her son, it's from a place of pain. She cannot afford to have Solomon fail She's lost so much. It has cost her so much to come to this place. When she pleads with Nathan the prophet to speak to David about the promise he made to make Solomon his heir, that's a woman fighting to make sense of it all. We often look at her as just a queen, you know, but Sheba was a queen. But look at it from your perspective. He is a king filled with lust. Discharging himself on her. She conceives. That's not enough. She loses that child. She's not only lost her husband, but she's lost her child. You don't know whether to love the child or hate the child. Don't know whether to admire her setting. Was that redemption? Was that healing? What was it? That's a two-edged sword. When Solomon comes forth, he is no ordinary child. She cannot afford to let him grow like a weed, like all the other children. But it wasn't Just the personality of who Bathsheba is. We were not told. But I believe the pain of the transition from her house to the palace has a lot to do with who Solomon was. My brother shared with us the other time that Solomon wasn't the choicest. You know, he's literally a bastard. You know, like scandal is just around him. And it's in those settings that the Lord usually chooses something. So be very careful when you dismiss some of your challenges. Calling the devil. The devil is doing his work in my house again. Ask yourself, Lord, are you picking something? Are you picking something from my house? I don't know who I'm talking to. Let the Lord pick something from you. Let the Lord bring life in you. Let the Lord train you in patience. Let the Lord train you in perseverance. Let the Lord train you in staying in long suffering. Let the Lord train you in endurance. Let the Lord train you in love. Let the Lord train you in knowing his voice. Let the Lord train you in fasting for purity. Let the Lord train you in despising sin. That you might appreciate the redemption you have received. That you might appreciate the healing you have received. That you might guard it jealously. That you might not take it for granted. When he comes through, when he sets a platform before you, you stick. You speak with boldness. You set everyone else below you. You don't allow the crowd to intimidate you because you know where you've come from. You know the price of what it's taken for you to stand on that platform. You speak his word with boldness. The apostle Paul had given up so much. His reputation, his study, his everything. But out of that same dark came life. A life that we still feed on. God is not done with you. God is not done with you. And every pain you experience, for those of us who are waiting for our testimony to be perfected, I say to you, there is life at the end of that tunnel. There is life at the end of that pain. Because his plans are to give you hope and future, a future. And life, regardless of what's going on in your life. Regardless of where you've started. Open your mouth and plead your case for the needy. It is worth much more to indulge in giving... To the poor, it's worth much, much more to indulge in looking out for them because that is the heart of God. But Sheba teaches that to Solomon that you could be a king and do so much, build a monument for yourself. But I tell you, there's another place that is more everlasting. The wisdom that we read in Proverbs 31 or the entire book of Proverbs comes from a place of dividing the soul and the spirit. Dividing what looks pleasant to us and what is acceptable before God. And what is acceptable before God will always outlive what is pleasing to the soul. So are you there? In need of healing. Are you there. In need of restoration. Are you there. In need of comfort. I'd like you to just. Shut every other voice down. Bible says that he leads me. In paths of righteousness. For his name's sake. He leads us in paths of righteousness. For his name's sake. He will lead us to green pastures. He will lead us by still waters. Turmoil may thrive for a moment. Or weeping may endure for a moment. But joy comes in the morning. As surely as the sun rises and sets, so is a bad day. It will rise, but it will have to set. So do not give up. When the word of God becomes living and active in your life, when he begins to question you and certain things, I pray that your posture will be a yielded one. Your posture will be a yielded one because in a yielded posture, you bear much more fruit unless a seed falls to the ground. It abides alone. Unless it falls and dies, it abides alone. The wisdom of reproduction in God is not exactly what we have in the world. It's always a two-edged sword. The four lepers at the gate that brought a drought to an end were unwanted. But from them came salvation. From them came a news that there is food out there. That the enemy has been dispersed. That the enemy has been broken. From the lepers at the gate. Who are you listening to? Not everyone that calls him Lord, Lord. Carries the life of the kingdom. We bless your name, Lord Jesus. And today we continue to say, continue to give more stories about your life in our lives. Continue to touch us in places. Continue to heal us in places. Continue to build up our catalog of testimonies, oh God. Continue to draw life out of brokenness. Continue to bring beauty out of ashes. Continue to bring healing out of the rottenness of our very behavior, oh God. Continue to empower us, oh God, in the, in the, in the lowest of parts, oh God. May you bring forth life within us. In the confusion, my Father, let your light shine brightly in our midst. Let our hearts know your voice. Let our hearts see your lifting. Let our hearts wait patiently for the Lord to come through. Let our hearts see your glory. Let our hearts recognize your voice. For you are a good shepherd. You are our bread of life. You have promised goodness and not harm. You have promised that life will always come through your hand. That as you chastise us, Lord, remember mercy. Along with it, I pray you deliver grace to carry the cross. You deliver grace to walk the life that you have given to us, the path that you have set before us. The brokenness that needs to be complete for us to be set as a pillar in your your temple. For you said, for him that overcomes, I will make a pillar in my father's house. Him that overcomes, him that outlives it, him that holds on to the end will be saved. You're calling us to a place of setting our lives down that we might take them back. You're setting life in a picture of death. You're setting life in a moment of torment. That as our bodies are beaten up, oh God, that as my brother was fasting, my father, you diffused the power of addiction in his life. That as he bit up his body, life was birthed in his spirit. Let your two edged sword continue to do its work in this ministry. We trust in you, Lord. We trust in you. We trust in you. We trust in you. Take a posture of surrender and trust in the Lord. I assure you, he is on your side. His intentions for you are good and not to harm you. His intentions for you are to build you up. He may tear you down for a moment, but his intentions for you are to come out more victorious, more beautiful, more elegant, more everlasting, that you might be like one who has eaten from the tree of life. Come unto him in your place of poverty given to him from your place of poverty, from your brokenness, from your place of, of not knowing how it will work, that is what will qualify you for something greater. For no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can conceive or perceive what the Lord has in store for you. Every word that's been spoken of your, over your life is a word of life. The journey is only a journey. The destination will always end up at life. For everything within your life works together to deliver life. Whether it be good, whether it be bad, whether it be crushing, it will always give back to life because he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. He is faithful to deliver what he said. Have I not said I will build you? Have I not said I will restore you? Have I not said I will strengthen you? Have I not said out of your barren room you shall sing as a, as, as a mother. You shall suckle a baby. Have I not said Man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Every word that comes from the mouth of God, that is our feeding point. Bread is what's available to everybody else. But the word of God is what will sustain us ahead of everybody else. We surrender to you, Lord. We surrender to you, Lord. I pray that everyone that's carrying a pregnancy of destiny, Lord, will bring it forth. Whether in the wailings of a woman or the birth pangs of a mother in birth, child labor. But let the baby be born let the baby cry out, let the baby speak life, let the baby be healthy, let the baby be alive. I come against every abortion of destiny, I come against every every sidelining of destiny, like Jesus, in the moment with Peter, when he said he must suffer, and he says, Get behind me, Satan. He wasn't allowed, he wasn't ready to let the enemy sabotage his destiny. The pain was part of the journey, part of the perfection. But out of it, he came out victorious. Out of it, we became brethren. Out of it, we became joint heirs. Out of it, we have access. Out of it, we are seated in heavenly places with the Lord Jesus. Out of it, in his name, the sick are healed. Out of it, in his name, the the wounded are restored. In his name, the prison gates are broken open. We have to embrace both sides of the cross. We have to embrace both sides of the sword. We bow down before you, Lord. And we speak strength right now in the atmosphere. I speak strength right now. I speak strength right now. You're here and you're struggling to fast. You're here and you're struggling to pray. One moment you're up, one moment you're down. I speak strength to you. I speak strength to you trying to lift up a life of abstinence. I speak strength to you right now in the name of Jesus. I silence the voice of the suffering that's going on in your mind and I uplift the still small voice of life in abundance speaking to your other side of your ear. I silence the voice of pain speaking in your bones and I speak life, the life in your spirit right now in the name of Jesus. We set darkness in every place that brings hope outside of Christ and we speak the light of God over that darkness in the name of Jesus. We set darkness in every form of godliness that denies the power thereof and we set light in that deadness of life in the name of Jesus. We set life in every area in our lives that is not at par with the glory of God. We set life in every area of our lives that keeps us comfortable away from the fire of God. We set life in every area of our lives that takes us away from the altar. Let your work be perfected in our midst, oh God. Finish the work that you're doing, Lord. Finish the work that you're doing, Lord. Take the four days. I ask that you take a posture of surrender. That you might be perfected. But for the joy set before him, he endured the cross despising its shame but for the joy set before him we set our eyes on our joy in you we set our eyes in our fulfillment in you we set our eyes on our wholeness in you we set our eyes on our our deliverance in you we set our eyes on your glory oh God we set our eyes in you being lifted up in our lives we set our eyes in the security of who you are we set our eyes In provision coming from you. We shut them down right now. In the name of Jesus. We shut them down right now. Every area of safety. We shut them down right now. We pray let there be a pushing out. Oh God. Let there be a completion of the duty occur. Oh Let the chastising be complete in us, my Father. Let it not be an, a, a, an immature bathing in the name of Jesus.